Oh dear. Welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, where we discuss all things app development. I'm your host, Rob J, and in this episode, I talk to the founder of the Fountain Podcast app, Oscar Merry. We talk about launching an app startup, building a cross-platform app in production using Flutter, in-app Bitcoin Lightning payments, and much, much more. Now on to the show. All right, so we can jump straight into it. So for before we get into Fountain and, and crypto and podcasting and all that kind of stuff, like, can you give the listeners just a little bit of background about kind of who you are and kind of the lead up to, to starting Fountain? Yeah, sure. So my name's Oscar. I uh, grew up in London in the UK, studied engineering at university, which is where I got my first introduction to computer programming and started off in tech consulting, which I did for a bit in a, in a big technology consulting company. Um, and then um, had a previous business uh, of which I was the CTO. We were started as a digital digital agency and then moved to more of a studio model, building apps for Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, so voice apps. Did that for about five years. And yeah, I was the CTO of that business. So that's where I kind of, yeah, built up a lot of my programming experience. And yeah, then we sold that business at the end of 2019 and did a bit of contracting after that. And that's kind of what led me to working on Fountain and, and building out the idea for that. Nice. Okay. All right. So I have a couple of questions on that, right? So when you when you started the company and you started doing Alexa and, and was it Alexa and Google Apps as well? Google Assistant. Yeah, Google Assistant. Right. So when you started doing that, um, how early on were you, like, were you guys the first to start doing that? How early on were you into like building apps exclusively for those platforms? Yeah, we were really early. Myself and my, my previous business partner, we both worked for a big technology consulting company and we got access to the Amazon Echo devices really early when they were first released. So we got access to the devices, got access to the development kit. And that's what kind of allowed us to build up an expertise very early before other people were kind of aware of what you could do with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then you have the Fountain app. You, you, as far as I'm aware, are like this sole developer on the app. So before we get into that, I wanted to ask, so how different is it building apps for Assistant or Alexa versus like building apps for phones? It's very different. One thing with voice apps is that there's no... UI, there's no visuals. So you spend a lot less time, you know, doing UI work and moving things around visually and making sure things are pixel perfect. Um, but I guess the thing that replaces that is testing the edge cases conversationally, because with voice apps, you don't know what your user is going to say, and they could say anything. So it's quite difficult to test all of the edge cases and make sure that you have good error handling and things like that. So yeah, it's very different. Yeah, I can imagine. I had a go at building one uh, Google Assistant app once and it was like, if I, if I say the exact phrases that I've mapped out, it works perfectly. If I say anything else, then at that point it would crash and I was just like, well, I, I don't think I, I want to figure out how this all works because it seems super complicated. So kudos to you guys. Um, and then one other thing, like your, your studio exited, right? And when, when at least me, and I think most people, they hear like, oh, you exited. It's like, right, this guy's rich now, right? But you said you finished the company, you exited, and then you went to do contracting. So how comes you chose after that to go and do a bit of contracting? Yeah, so we sold the business, but it wasn't a life-changing amount of money. 
um, we basically decided that we wanted to move on and do something different and there was value in the business. But yeah, it wasn't <laughs> the type of thing where we could stop working. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, all right, so then that brings us to Fountain. So before we get into it, can you just give a quick overview, like what is Fountain? Yeah, so Fountain is a podcast app, fundamentally, and it does all of the things that you'd expect your podcast app to do. So you can listen to podcasts, search for podcasts, create your personalized library uh, and have, you know, full control over the episodes and the downloads and things like that. The, the differentiators with Fountain are, number one, you can create and share clips from the episodes that you're listening to. So you can basically cut out the, the bits that you really like and then share them internally within Fountain. So we have social features within the app. And also you can share them externally on other social media or in a direct message, in a WhatsApp, something like that. Um, and the aim of the clipping is really to allow listeners to discover and share um, really interesting moments from podcasts without having to go and listen to the full episode, which is quite time consuming. So that's the first thing that's different about Fountain. The second thing is that as you're listening on Fountain, you can support your favorite podcast with Bitcoin. So you can stream Bitcoin on a per minute basis, or you can send a boost, which is kind of like a tip. Um, so if there's a part of the show or episode that you really enjoy, you can send a boost and you can attach a message to that boost. Um, and that all happens over the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So yeah, that's an overview of Fountain. Okay. All right. So I guess a, a, a question that like backs up a little bit is why did you decide to start Fountain? And the reason that I asked that is because like I like as a developer, and I'm sure you've heard this, people come to you and they're like, I got this idea. I'm going to make the next Facebook, but it's not going to be blue. It's going to be green and it's going to be awesome. Um, and, you know, podcast apps, there's loads and loads of podcast apps. There's really well established ones. So what made you decide, you know, you've done a bit of contracting, you've exited your company and then you're like, right, I'm going to start this podcast app. Yeah, so the starting point was really uh, a personal um, belief of mine that audio is one of the best mediums to learn. And I've always loved audio and loved podcasts. And so I wanted to do something in that space. I wasn't sure exactly what. And really, I guess the problem that we set out to try and solve with Fountain is that for me personally, most days when I open my podcast app, I'll have too much to listen to um, and I won't be able to get to it all. And I often think to myself, I'd love to listen to that episode, but I just don't have the time in the day. And so that problem of, you know, how do you distill the insights from podcasts in a way that works and makes sense? That was something personally that I was just interested in. So we very much at the beginning just set out to explore that and, and play around um, and once we came up with the clipping UI that we use in the app now, we thought, okay, there's, there's something here that's like worth trying to, you know, uh, double down on and actually try and build a business around. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And then I guess the next thing that I wanted to get to is, so I get asked about this a lot, especially from people that listen to this podcast and like me and you have had discussions and, and you're like, I have very little experience in this, right? But your app is based on Flutter. Like the whole thing is written in Flutter. It's on iOS and Android. 
So why did you decide to go the Flutter route? And then also, how have you found that experience? Yeah, great question. Um, so importantly, I didn't have any mobile development experience before building Fountain. Um, although I was the CTO of my previous business, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty experienced with technology, architecture, and development. I'd never done native iOS or Android development or any mobile development for that matter. And so I was looking around for different approaches and I saw Flutter and I was really impressed by it on the surface. So I thought it would be one to explore in a little bit more depth. So I did a few in-depth tutorials, built a few apps, and I just really liked the feel of the UI within the app. So I thought that was kind of the starting point for me of being like, okay, yes, this this seems like good enough to, to build a really high quality app. And from there, I guess, yeah, I found it really great to work with, really intuitive, really easy to learn. There's a vibrant community. There's a lot of information out there on you know, Stack Overflow and different forums. So if you get stuck, it's quite easy to um, get unstuck. So that's been great. Overall, I would highly recommend it to anyone, especially if you don't have experience with native um, development, because it is very easy and intuitive to get started. I would say the one downside is you can come up against some barriers when you have to try and dig into the native code if you're not experienced. For example, obviously in Fountain, um, we use a lot of the native audio APIs. And that's something that can be difficult to try and um, debug if you're using a third-party library or, or something like that. But yeah, overall, I would say Flutter's been amazing, really impressed with the framework, and would definitely recommend people check it out. I think one thing that's also interesting about Flutter is there's early support for web now. And you can also actually write server-side dark code as well. So I think there is um, a case to be made for in the future, us doing everything in Dart, at least across mobile, web, and also server side, which is something that would be amazing. So yeah, really impressed with Flutter. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like the holy grail. Like everyone that I've spoken to has said the same thing. But a question, and I guess this is a bit of speculation, but how do you see Flutter fitting into the current kind of app ecosystem in terms of do you see it overtaking native ios and android so you know like a year two years three years five years they'll just be flutter or do you think it, it it's not there that it could take those things over yeah good question i think it depends a lot on how the native platforms develop over the next few years so for example if apple or Google released some incredible new feature in regards to the UI that was difficult to do with Flutter, you're probably going to see Flutter lag behind a bit in terms of that. So I think it it would depend on yeah the type of app you're building um, and how heavily you rely on the native um, APIs or the new features that Apple and Google release. But I do think that for your average app it makes complete sense to build it in flutter because it means you only have one set of ui code basically which just saves an incredible amount of time 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. And then from what I've seen, the the UI experience is, at least on Android, it's way faster, it's way slicker. Like, the way that they do things, it just works. You don't have, like, this lag where you're scrolling things and it stutters. It is definitely really, really nice. Quick interruption. If you're a fan of the show, I'd love it if you could leave it a positive rating review in your podcast app of choice. Contrary to what you might have heard, it doesn't actually help the show be discovered, but it does provide the social proof that it's a show worth listening to. So if you have 30 seconds to spare, I'd really, really appreciate it. And now back to the show. But I also wanted to ask about apps in terms of like startups, right? So you guys are a startup and a lot of people listen to this and a lot of people that I speak to is what I mentioned to you earlier. Like I got an email the other day from somebody that was like, I want to build a fitness app. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, one, that doesn't tell me anything about the thing that you want to build. And, and two, like, I imagine this is, you know, I want to build the next big fitness app and they don't really know where to start. And I think there's a big kind of misconception about startup apps and the ones that are successful are kind of intangible and the average person couldn't do that. And then the ones that are not successful is just everybody. So like you guys, you know, you have an app, it's out already. People can go and use it in the podcast world at the very least. It's making a lot of noise. And um, as far as like, I, I believe you guys have got funding and stuff for, for the app as well, right? Or is that wrong? Yeah, we do have a small amount of early funding. Okay. So the question I wanted to ask, and you can go into it as much or as little as you want is like, how, I guess the question is, how does it work? Right? Because me, I'm an app developer. I know how to build apps. And I've built my own apps and I put them on the Play Store. And if someone wants to use it, great. But I have no idea where to start where I want to turn this app into a business. So like, how, do, how does that start? How does that work? How, do, how does somebody approach that to give it a chance of like an actual viable business success? Yeah, great question. I think the most important thing to say is that the first step, no matter what your goal is, whether you just want to experiment with a new framework like Flutter or um, build an app just so that you can for a personal challenge or create a side project that provides you a little bit of income or actually create a business and, and work on that full time. No matter what your goal is, the first step should be to just build an app and have it working and test it out with some users. And I think with frameworks like Flutter, it's much easier now than it ever was. Even if you're not experienced, even if you know, you think it's intimidating to jump into mobile development, um, you know, just give it a try, follow along with the tutorial and, you know, just try and get something simple out there. And I think that's always going to be the first step. And then once you have an app that you can actually put into people's hands, get their feedback on, everything else will just become a lot more clear. And I think, let's say you, you've built an app You've, you've got it into some initial users' hands and they've given you great feedback about it and you're trying to decide, okay, do I keep this as a side project or do I, you know, try and double down on it, go full-time, raise some money, um, bring on some partners? I would say the most important thing is how interested are you in working on it personally? Um, because it's a, it's a big commitment to... Um, try and do it full time and it's incredibly hard work and can be very difficult and can weigh you down and so yeah how interested are you in it could you see yourself working on that one app idea for the next five ten years and 
if the answer is no, then you should probably just keep it a side project because you can always change your mind about that decision in a month, two months, six months. Whereas if you go down the route of uh, trying mm-hmm. to go full time on it, it's, it's much more difficult okay. to reverse right, that decision. Yeah, it's, I just find it really interesting because you hear at least, I suppose you read, right? You go on TechCrunch and it's like, right, this startup, like there's a company that I use. I had the guy on here, um, the CEO for an interview about his product and it was an accounting software. And so I heard him, I talked to him, it was really cool. So I switched to it because it was like way cheaper and I trialed it for a bit. And then I was Googling something and it came up and it was like, oh, this accounting software has just raised, you know, 1.2 million pounds. And, and to me, it's just like, well, that's really cool, but also I don't understand because I know the guy and he built the app. So how did he raise 1.2 million pounds and to do what? And like, where is the room that you go to where there's all these people saying, here's my checkbook and, and get money. So it's really interesting to just see like the inside of, of how these things sort of work. Okay. So I want to get into um, a bit of crypto and you mentioned, you know, you, you do bit, uh, the app does, so you can stream um, Satoshis, right? Which is like a fraction of a Bitcoin for every time, like every minute that you listen which i think is awesome but from a technical point like how hard is it to implement something like that in the app because i've never worked with crypto anything um and in my mind it just seems like it's a whole bunch of like really complicated maps but i imagine it's not so like how hard or easy is it to kind of implement something like that yeah so it's becoming a lot more easier than it used to be and they're starting to we're starting to see third-party services and API providers that can help with some of the more difficult aspects of managing the infrastructure. Specifically, the Bitcoin Lightning Network is the Bitcoin Layer 2 that allows you to send um, instantaneous payments at a very, very low fee, like basically zero fee. Um, And that's what we're using for the streaming payments. So yeah, from a technical perspective, it's not that difficult. I think the difficult part is the regulatory side of things, because as soon as you're moving money around, you have, yeah, you have to comply with regulations. So, yeah. How, how complicated do they make that? Because I would have thought, because it's such a small amount of money, like it wouldn't be the same as, you know, sending thousands or millions of pounds in Bitcoin, but how how complicated does that make that process? Yeah, you're exactly right. It depends on the amount you send. Um, I think right now we're we're okay but we need to looking going forward i think it's going to be quite complicated for us because you get into like anti like money laundering and stuff like that yeah. right yeah and then yeah okay so then i guess like do, I, I don't know if you know but does it get as complicated as like a gambling app because i've worked on those before and i remember that being like not a great experience mostly because you can't just then pick and choose what libraries you want to use because you have to like dig into the libraries and what do they do and what does the licenses say and stuff like that does does it get that complicated or i think tbc was we're kind of still working through that now so all right cool i suppose it's a good problem to have right because to get to that point like you need to be moving around a good amount of money which means a good amount of users so um and then i also wanted to ask about crypto just in general so in terms of apps, at least from what I've seen, and correct me if you've seen anything different, like payments in apps right now, use, you know, Apple or you use PayPal or on Google, like it all has to go via IAP, so they don't let you do anything else. Do you see, or like, how do you see crypto fitting into that in the future? Because from like listening to you talk about it and doing a bit of research, to me, it seems very obvious that the next step would be you could skip all of the, you know, putting in your card details and PayPal and stuff like that, and you could just have a wallet on the app store that has, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, 
and you just use that. So like, do you see that being a viable option in the future based on like your work you've done with it now? Yeah, this is, I think, the the number one question. Um, I think there's two things or there's two answers I can give. One is my personal view in what's going to happen in the long term. And then the second is like what's going to happen in the short term. So in the next like year or two, I think the inevitable end state with Bitcoin specifically and to a lesser extent other cryptocurrencies. But I think the end goal will be both Apple and Google will will have a uh, built-in Bitcoin and Lightning wallet into the actual operating system. So in the same way you pay with Apple Pay, you'd be able to pay with Bitcoin and Lightning um, using that really slick mechanism. And then any app developer would be able to tie into that. And I think the in-app purchase 15%, again, in the long run, I think they're just going to have to get rid of that because I think it's very, um, yeah, it's very anti-competitive and, I think it's yeah, it's a, it's a tax basically on on developers and oh, hundred percent, yeah. It, it used to be f- like I think only until maybe the last six months or so, it used to be thirty percent, and then they reduced it. But then you had to. So I got emails saying that I have to opt in to say that I would like to pay the reduced rate instead of just being given the reduced rate, which I think is crazy. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's a tax. But then I feel like if they if they remove that tax, then it's like, well, how do, how are they now going to make money from the Play Store? or from the app store and then it gets complicated but then i suppose if they just charge transaction fees and like they implemented like if you if you could do like bitcoin or whatever transfers and they just took you know a point or something of that maybe i don't know interesting one it's interesting yeah i think i think personally i think that they again this is my personal view and it was it will take a long time probably for this to be realized but i think they they are not justified in taking any transaction fee because unlike visa or mastercard where they do take that fee there's a lot of infrastructure to for visa mastercard to actually run whereas with bitcoin and the lightning network the infrastructure already exists so apple and google as a platform are not providing any valuable service so why should they take a cut from that and i think that's logical and i think eventually this will play out where it won't be tenable anymore for them to take that fee so yeah that's that's the end date and i think but i think in the short term um it will be down to each individual app to make the uh bitcoin and lightning onboarding but also the payments and everything around that as easy to use as possible like right now one of the problems we have in fountain is that if you know what bitcoin is you have some knowledge of what the lightning network is it's you can top up your fountain wallet and you can start supporting podcasters but if you've never heard of bitcoin or the lightning network it's very very difficult for you to do so we really need a way for new users to onboard onto the bitcoin lightning network in you know a click or a couple of clicks that's a big challenge for us at the moment Okay. So, all right. So question on that, being a complete novice on like the lightning network, how, how comes, or is it not a solution? And this is just like me thinking out loud that, you know, you could open an, an app and basically put in your card details and say, I want to buy two pounds worth or $2 worth of Bitcoin. And then everything else happens in the background. Or does it need like the user to set up a wallet, put in their wallet ID and all of this kind of stuff as well? 
Yeah, so this is what we're trying to figure out at the moment. I think the way you described it would work. The the challenge is the regulatory side of things because as soon as you um, set up as a the the word is like a fiat on ramp. So as soon as you're accepting uh, national currency and and giving people Bitcoin, there's a lot of regulation that comes with that. So the challenge is we could do that, but there would be a, an incredible amount of work and compliance and you know checks that we'd have to do and also that would affect the user experience as well so it's a trade-off between yeah regulation user experience and how easy it is to onboard yeah okay all right we'll get right back to the show but first i just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this episode if you feel it's bringing you value then it would mean a lot to me if you shared it with a friend or fellow developer that's it just hit the share button in your podcast app of choice and you know what to do now back to the show so something else that i was also going to say and you just made me think of it so when we were speaking before and you know we we're talking about the app and how stuff works and that and then i remember you mentioning along these lines and something that crossed my mind afterwards which i didn't mention if you guys went that route where you took you know you i could open up fountain go to my fountain wallet and it just says you know put in your details or whatever and buy three dollars worth of something and you, you managed to get that working regulatory and all that to me, that's a whole separate thing. Like you could, you could have that as, you know, the new PayPal and people could just integrate that in their apps and you guys have already done the regulatory stuff so it doesn't fall on them because then it feels like that's, that's the solution to that problem, right? You become like the middle ground. Exactly. Exactly. So I think like th that's exactly the way we see it as well. And this is why we're not rushing to do that because like my personal belief is that if you look at your phone if you look at your home screen on your phone right now every app that you see will be either replaced by a lightning enabled equivalent or they'll introduce lightning payments so you see twitter are have introduced lightning tipping natively into the app i think every app's going to have to do it and so then it becomes um then you get this state where every app is trying to solve the same problem, which is how do you onboard new users to Bitcoin and Lightning? And it makes sense really to have a third party do that and provide the infrastructure and provide the services and the APIs. So I think we're starting to see that happen. Like for example, in the US you have Strike, which is an app that lets you really easily buy Bitcoin. And also they are introducing an API to make it easier. Um, so that's one example. The issue is they're, they're only in the US at the moment and they don't exactly offer what we need. Um, but I think you will see, yeah, in each jurisdiction, in each country, there'll be uh, an infrastructure or service provider that, you know, handles the actual on-ramp to Bitcoin and Lightning, handles the regulatory side, handles the KYC of actually doing that. And then we can actually just like accept the bitcoin in from that so i think that's the way it will go it's just that's happening quite slowly yeah i could imagine because it's super new right because i could also see like from from the way that fountain works the idea of streaming you know satoshi's based on i'm listening to a podcast so i'm constantly essentially paying for it a really small amount i feel like at some point that would be the same thing for apps where this app is free but i stream to use it so it works out cheaper than paying a monthly fee or a monthly subscription and it also means that the developers will probably end up getting more money because they've got lots of users that use it for free and i imagine when that happens is when you start seeing cut like that's when 
there'll be that fight for who's going to be the the top third party provider because to me that just seems like the next evolution you've got like freemium and premium and free and then you know they have to come up with a cool name for it so i don't know what they would call that like streamium or something but definitely <laughs> streamium yeah like that. De- definitely I-, I could see there being that kind of thing there going forward which would be super interesting yeah well the model with within fountain it's the value for value model which is championed by adam curry and dave jones at podcast index and this is this model works in a way where you pay what you think um the service is worth so if if you don't want to pay anything you don't but if you have got an amazing value from whatever that service is or whatever that content is then you can pay the value that you think it deserves so i think that's a really interesting model where the payment is optional but it kind of incentivizes more high quality services and content as well um because only the ones that are truly valuable for people are going to um get income and and revenue but that doesn't mean that they're not going to i think there's plenty of valuable uh products services and content out there yeah i would agree i think it also it balances itself out because there's there's um a lot of like at least on linux there's a bunch of apps where you know they're always free but when you go to download it it's like do you want to pay twenty dollars do you want to pay five dollars or do you want to pay zero dollars and i feel like it balances itself out because you'll have a portion of people that don't want to pay to listen or to to download or whatever it is but then you'll have another portion of people that want to pay way more than everybody else because it gives them so much value and so in the long run it's like if this content is good especially in the podcast world it's like if the if the content is good then that's a really easy way to show your appreciation and if the content's not good you could see it in the numbers so it kind of it kind of balances itself out there i got a couple of things i want to talk about but just in terms of you mentioned you know podcast um index like for people that are listening, can you just give like a brief overview or maybe not an overview, but what are the more interesting things that have been introduced? Because I imagine a lot of people listening, you know, podcasting is just an MP3 file that they get on their phone and they might not know that there's that much more to it. Yeah. So I'll give a quick overview of podcasting 2.0, which is a organization and a movement created by Adam Curry and Dave Jones. And podcasting 2.0 really is striving to maintain the open nature of podcasting and RSS because we see the big players like Apple and Spotify in particular starting to centralize podcasting and moving away from RSS. And they say that they're doing this to increase the features and introduce more features that RSS doesn't provide. But really, they're just trying to centralize and and create the centralized YouTube of podcasting. So Podcasting 2.0 is aiming to counter that and preserve the open nature of RSS. And as as well as offering the Podcast Index, which is an open um, index of all the podcasts out there, they're also introducing new features to the RSS spec, one of which is the value-for-value value lightning payments that we're using. But there's a lot of other really cool features as well. So one that we have in Fountain right now is cloud chapters so that allows you as a podcaster to set up some metadata around the different chapters within the podcast and then the players like fountain can pass that data and modify the ui um, as the chapters uh, go through so you can browse the different chapters you can see different images and text based on the chapter and also 
click on links that are mentioned in a given chapter. So it just adds a little bit more interactivity to the podcast. Um, some other tags that they've introduced are, for example, the person tag. So you can actually see who is mentioned in the podcast. Um, there's um, some really exciting ones coming in the future, like a, there's a proposal for a live tag. So the ability to actually have a live streamed podcast episode that starts off as a live stream. But then once it's finished, it turns into a normal episode. So, yeah, th these kind of features are what Podcasting 2.0, um, the movement is really driving. And, and us as Fountain are trying to uh, implement as many of them as possible. Yeah, awesome. Cool. I've, I've seen the chapters pop up in a couple of apps, which I think is, is, is really cool. Like it's one of these things you didn't realize you want it and then you have the access to do it. And then it's like, all right, I'd have to skip through this episode to find out where that chapter is. It just works. So that's definitely really nice. Cool. All right. So I have, um, let me think. I think, I think I have one question left. And then if there's anything else you want to jump into, we can. But I, before I, I want to preface it with, so if you, if you rewind back a little bit, you had your, your studio, you were CTO. I would assume that you had developers working under you. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so I have two questions, right? Which is one. Um, in terms of like the hiring process, how did you approach that to make sure that you found good developers? Yeah, good question. I think the most important thing, it comes back to your previous question about how to know which direction to take an idea that you have. I honestly think it just comes down to how interested is the person in what they're doing. So for example, if you're hiring someone that has an incredible skill set, you know, it may be actually better to go with someone who's more junior, but is incredibly interested and excited and enthusiastic about the the thing that you're working on. Because at the end of the day, we're all human and we like to do things that we're interested in. And so I think that's definitely like the number one thing for me is, yeah, trying to find people that understand what you're doing, that are interested in it and that would be interested in it even if they weren't getting paid to do it and it's very difficult to do that but um i do think it's possible yeah i would agree for sure and then i have a, i have a follow-up to that which you can say no to but so i've done hiring before when i've from places that i've worked if i've been lead developer or whatever and every hire except for one turned out to be great and one hire turned out to be terrible and i did not hear the end of it until the end of the person's contract because everybody on the team was just like they hate this person so um, I wanted to know if you had any bad hires in your time at that company. No, I don't think we did, actually. I think we were okay. very lucky. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, nice. So it makes for a boring story, but I'm glad to hear that that, that was that was successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I couldn't give you a more That's fine, it's fine. I got asked the question just in case. Um, okay, and then final, final question, and this may be the same answer, but I'll ask it anyways, which is from, from your experience in development, what do you think separates an okay developer from a great developer? Good question. This is something I'm constantly still asking myself to try and improve my my own skills and my own, I guess, quality of work. And it's something that I still see myself as very much in the learning process of. I think a few things, and it'd be great to get your thoughts on these as well. One of the things I've found is actually it helps to spend less time actually writing code and more time actually thinking about the structure of your code and the structure of the data that kind of backs that up. Because I think if you rush into something and you structure either the data or the code base in the wrong way, you can set yourself up 
for problems, but also you can just set yourself up for um, challenging work in the future because you're trying to unpack what, what you've done. So yeah, I think spending more time thinking about how you're going to structure the code base is really beneficial in the long run. That's one thing. Um, I think having a sense of curiosity for the best way of doing something is really good as well. So, you know, you're trying to tackle a problem, you're trying to build a feature, you're trying to implement something. Uh, having that curiosity to not just settle on the first approach that you find that works, but actually uh, doing a bit more extra research and thinking, okay, is there a better way of doing this? Is there a newer way of doing this that is more efficient or uses an API or a library that's more up to date and, and works better? So yeah, there are a couple. Um, I don't know if you would agree with those. or De No, definitely. I was going to say the, the answers um, explain why you're able to not have done Flutter before, start doing Flutter, have an app that's in production and works really well. Because I think definitely both of those points, like the first one, so I'm working on a project right now for like, I can't give details because NDAs and stuff, but let's just say I'm working for a company and their code base is just horrible. You just want to delete it and start again. And as you go through it, you can see that the reason it's like that is because when they started coding it, they didn't start coding it thinking about going forward, what other things we need to do. They started coding it with, we have this task today, let's build a solution that works today. And then tomorrow you get something else that you need to add, but because it wasn't built in a way that's easy to do that, you basically end up with, after a year, you've got like this game of Jenga where you've got all these different things piled on top of each other and you don't know if I touch this thing, is the whole thing going to fall down? So definitely, I would agree, like thinking about how you're doing it and definitely not settling for the first thing that works. Because I used to, like when I started coding, so when I started writing my own apps, I was in a full-time job. I had no work to do, which is why I started doing app development because it was one of these support jobs and, you know, I, I had nothing to do. So I had, but I couldn't also do the stuff at work. So I would basically just have Notepad open and I would just be writing like, okay, we're going to have this model like write it out okay cool so when i when i went home i would basically have right these are the models this is kind of the structure of the code you know it's not it's not working code but it's good enough and then i'll just go home and in an hour i'll type it up and it's like works but i had the whole day to think about is this the right way to go about things so yeah i would definitely agree like you you need to think about how you do things and you need to think about how you do things going forward and not just like can i deliver a solution that gets me what i want today Exactly. And I think over time, you get a sense for, it's almost like a sixth sense for, I haven't done this correctly, or like, this isn't, this isn't good enough, or this is going to fall down in the future, or this is going to, uh, this is going to bring up a lot of issues in the future. And when you get that sense, although you, you, it might be the end of the day, and you're tired, or it might be the end of the week, and you want to try and just like get that thing done and ticked off the to do list. Actually, when you get that sense, it's really important to to say to yourself, no, like take an extra day or like take more time, revisit it, like go back and and think about it again. Because yeah, if it's really tempting to just push forward with your first implementation, but it 
when you have that sixth sense, it often will lead to a problem in the future. So I would agree. The sixth sense is, is a great way to put it because there is that point where it's like, okay, it's done, but you're not happy with it, but you're not sure why you're not happy with it. And if you, yeah. and then, and then I feel like, at least from experience, if you push that code thinking, right, I'll come back to it later, later you'll forget and you won't know why you weren't happy with it and it won't come back to you until like six months down the line and you'd be like, why did I, like, why did I, who wrote this code? This wasn't me. Why did I do this? So, all right. So then final, final question, which is where can people find, find uh, where can people find out more about you? Where can they find Fountain, social media, all that good stuff? Yeah. So if you go to fountain.fm, you can download Fountain on iOS and Android. And yeah, for everybody listening, I would really appreciate it if you checked it out. Um, you can import your podcast from Apple or Spotify and get started straight away. And then if you're feeling adventurous, what I would love for you to do is try and top up your wallet with Bitcoin on the Lightning Network and uh, support one of your favorite podcasts. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or fellow developer. And if you really want to support the show, you can do so with a coffee donation at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash donate. And if you don't want to miss future episodes of the show, make sure you follow or subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.